Well, good morning again. Happy Mother's Day to moms. One more time. Don't you just love water baptisms? Let's give it up for these people one more time. That was awesome. What a great gift to, uh, and I'm really proud of all of you, but especially the moms who are willing to get their hair all messed up on Mother's Day and to get baptized. That is just awesome. Thank you, guys. Hey, I want to thank you as well for uh, praying for me. Most of you know I was down in uh, Orange County this last uh, Thursday and was on TBN, praise the Lord, and it was a great experience. Uh, I just love how God shows up, and if he can use an idiot like me, he can use anybody, so it was, it was fun. But thank you for praying for me. I had a great time, and the Lord did some really cool things. So I'm glad you're here today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Mark, the 14th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one at home, if you need a Bible, we always have them available in the racks on the wall, so you feel free to pick one of those up. And again, if you don't have a Bible, take that home as our gift to you. We're going to be taking a look at Peter's denial today, and what I want to encourage and challenge you to do, uh, if you're a Christ follower, is to take a stand for Jesus. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, then today I'm going to encourage you to take your first stand for him. I know that most of us, at least one time in our life, and for some of us, maybe it's been fairly recent, that we have not taken the stand for Jesus that we could have. Perhaps we denied even knowing him. Maybe it wasn't quite as overt as what we'll read here in, in Peter's example of, of, you know, denying that he even knew Jesus. Maybe it was more subtle than that. But most of us, in either an act or a lack of something, at some point in our lives, we've made a decision. We didn't step up. We didn't take a stand for Jesus. When I, uh, years ago, worked for Amer- American Savings Bank in California, I was on a trip to Fresno uh, to do some business up there. How many of you have ever been to Fresno, California? I'm sorry. It's a really great place to be from if that happens to be your birthplace. I love you. But it's not a real thriving metropolis. And, and uh, we didn't have much to do. We did our work during the day, and then we had uh, dinner with some clients that night. Bunch of guys. Now, truth is, you get a bunch of guys together, they can get crude. And I'm with these guys. Not a one of them were, you know, have any relationship with God that at least I'm aware of. And they start to tell these really crude, off-color, horrible, nasty jokes. And I want you to know, I did not tell any of the jokes. I was not that guy. But I did laugh. And I did kind of just go along with what was happening. And about halfway through the meal, one of the guys looks at me and goes, Hey, uh, I used to live in Salem, Oregon. And I knew where, where he was going. He said, I went to this church with this guy named Don Bubna was the pastor. You know that guy? I could have crawled under the table and died a thousand deaths because the last thing at that moment I wanted to be associated with was God because I had just been playing along like everybody else and I knew, you know, you just get slimed and I just knew it wasn't good, it wasn't right and here this guy says, hey, isn't your uncle a pastor? Well, I mumbled some response and quickly diverted the conversation some other direction because I was embarrassed. Went home that night to my hotel room and actually uh, spent some time on my knees weeping saying, God, I let you down. And I am not going to suggest today. In fact, I don't want you to ever be the kind of Christian that Bible thumps people, that gets hyper-religious, that smacks people around as if you've got your act all together and and they're just messed up. I don't ever want you to be judgmental or self-righteous with anybody. But I do think there is a point, and we often run into them where we work, where we go to school, in our neighborhoods, where we need, need to take a stand for Jesus, where we need to take a stand for him. Denying Jesus can take many forms. It can manifest itself in lots of different ways. Again, we can absolutely disavow even knowing him like Peter did, or our denial can be more subtle. Today, I want to take a look at some of the causes of denial, causes why we don't take a stand for him, 
And then we'll talk about some cures as well, some things we can do to stand out as lights in the midst of a very dark world. Mission will be in Mark 14. It's the longest chapter in the book of Mark, uh, one of the longest chapters in the Bible. You can relax. I will not read the entire chapter today. We'll pick a few points out. But we're going to take a look at this story that's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why is that important? Well, when something's recorded multiple times and through all the Gospels, then I'm pretty sure it's God saying, I want you to understand this and get this. And this account of Peter's denial is the most complete account we have here in the book of Mark. Reason for that is that most believe that Peter was dictating the stories to Mark. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, but the, most of the stories came from Peter. And so we have a pretty good picture here of what's going on. We're going to pick up Mark 14, verse 27. It's just... Uh, at the uh, Last Supper, Jesus is sharing his final meal with his disciples. And he looks at these guys and he says in verse 27, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Verse 29, Peter declared, here he goes. Even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus said, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, he looked at Peter and he said, you yourself will disown me three times. Verse 31, but Peter insisted emphatically. Gotta love this guy. Insisted emphatically, no way. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They finished the meal. It says they prayed, sung a hymn, went out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, there Judas shows up, the betrayer, with a mob of people, and they arrest Jesus. And it says in verse 50, skip down to verse 50, it says that everyone deserted him and fled, just as Jesus had prophesied, just as he told these guys, every one of them. Not, Peter wasn't the only one who denied Jesus that night, but every one of them fled uh, and deserted Jesus in his worst moment. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Jesus is hauled off. He's under trial right now, and let's skip down to verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. So she looks at Peter and says, you're one of his guys. Verse 68, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing there, you know, this guy, this fellow is one of them. Again, Peter denied it. And after a while, those standing near said to Peter, yeah, surely you are. You're one of those guys because you're a Galilean just like them. Verse 71, Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, he will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. I can only imagine how Peter felt. Actually, I don't have to imagine that much because though I was not in that courtyard, I have not been in that situation, I've denied the Lord too. While Jesus is on trial inside the, the palace of the high priest, Peter is on trial, so to speak, outside in the courtyard. And there's no way to put a positive spin on this. He blew it. He failed miserably. He failed the test. He failed to associate himself with Jesus. In fact, he denied him. Again, I want to take a look at some causes. Why do we do that? Why is this not just something Peter falls into, but we occasionally can as well? And how do we avoid making those mistakes? Well, here's the first thing, the first cause of denial, the first reason why Peter didn't take a stand. Number one is pride. 
Pride sets us up for a, for a fall. Peter boldly and arrogantly declared in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. In other words, all these other guys may be losers, Jesus, but not me. He was so sure of himself and so confident, but his confidence was a self-confidence based on a prideful attitude that Peter apparently suffered from on a fairly regular basis. He thought more highly of himself than he ought to. And you could almost hear the arrogance in his voice. Oh, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. All these other yahoos, they may turn their back on you, but not me. I'll never be one of those guys. And I, I, I like to use my God-given imagination when I read the scriptures. It's okay to do that, by the way. And um, I, I imagine if I'm one of the disciples and, you know, the other guys, one of the other 11, and I hear Peter going off, oh, I'm not going to be like you know, that guy or these guys. I imagine what they're thinking at that moment. Now, here goes Peter again. You know, being, being arrogant, being proud, being the guy who's going to be the perfect man for Jesus and throwing the rest of us under the bus or under the ox cart, as the case may be. But here's the problem. Here's what you need to know. Pride always bites us in the end. Write it down. Pride always bites us. Proverbs 16, 18. Solomon wrote these words. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Pride goes before. It's, it is the precursor. It'll set you up for destruction and for a fall. A haughty spirit before a fall. And that word haughty here means conceited, stuck up, puffed up, or overconfident. And many times in the Word of God, Old and New Testament, we are challenged to not be proud. In fact, we are challenged to have a humble heart, to watch out, to be careful. For pride is a sin that brings failure and destruction, and it ruins so much. I won't mention his name, but some time ago there was a very well-known televised and very successful uh, TV preacher who fell, and he fell hard. And when I asked in an interview, and I remember watching this, and I just, it, I will never forget the look on his face and his words. Why did you do this? Why did this happen? He had one word. He said, pride. 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 Peter was overconfident. He was puffed up, and it cost him. Of course, the antidote to pride is humility. I mean, it's kind of like a duh. The, rather than be proud, we should be humble. And being humble requires remembering that we are human. Though we are new creatures in Christ, and I'll talk about that more, more in just a moment, the fact is as long as we're living in these earth suits, we are uh, prone to wander, and we can make mistakes, and we need to remember that. And remembering that ought to make us humbly, humbly dependent on God. When I know the weakness in my flesh, when I know the old man that can raise his ugly head from time to time, and I understand that part of me, and I live in a broken world, and, and I get that, then I'm going to walk every day in a humble dependence on God. Almost every day. I could probably say every day, but that would be an exaggeration. But almost every day, before I even get out of bed, you know the first thing that comes out of my mouth? Literally, I say it out loud. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. Something like that. And my next prayer is, God, fill me today with your spirit because I can't do this without you. Fill me. I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need the fullness of God's presence in my life if I'm going to become the man that God wants me to be and to live the life he wants me to live. And can I suggest so to you? You need the fullness of his presence. You need God's help. And that's a humble attitude to take. But pride set Peter up for a fall. Here's the second thing. And this is not quite as obvious in this passage, but it's very important we hear this. The second reason for Peter's failure and often for our failure is a loss of identity causes us to stumble. A loss of our identity in Christ causes us to stumble. It seems to me that Peter lost sight 
of who he was sitting around that fire in that courtyard. He forgot that he wasn't Simon the Pebble, but he was Peter the Rock. You see, Jesus saw Peter differently. He saw him as a disciple, as a follower, as a leader. Jesus saw Peter's potential, and he kept speaking that into his life and encouraging Peter to understand who he was. Peter wasn't just a fisherman who was called to some you know, casual walk with Jesus, to be a casual observer. He was called to be an integral part of the kingdom of God, this new kingdom that Jesus was establishing, a key player. But somehow in the confusion and in the terror that he felt in that courtyard, he forgot his true identity. And here's a conviction I live with. And I, guys, I believe this with all my heart, that remembering who we are will determine what we do. Remembering who we, will, we are will determine what we do. When you remember who you are in Christ, when you remember that you are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we're new creatures, that when we become Christ followers, we actually become new people, that God changes us from the inside out, transforms us. And when we remember who we are, it then affects, it changes what we do. In fact, I'm going to tell you that almost every time I've failed in a miserable, major way in my life, when I look back at that experience, in that moment, I can tell you I forgot who I was. I forgot that I'm a son of the Father, that I'm a child of the King, that I belong to Jesus, that I'm a new creature in Christ. I have forgotten my identity. And when I do something stupid, it's almost always because in that moment, I have not lived up to who I am in Him. But it's remembering who we are and holding on to that identity as His beloved children that will keep us focused where we need to be. We have to remember who we are. And that's completely, by the way, different than the way our culture operates. In our world, in the world we live in now, it's about what you do or what you have. Your value and your identity, as far as the world is concerned, is based on what you do or what you have. You're famous, then you value, you have value. If, you're, if you do something great, then you're a value. If you've got a great you know, role, or if you're a great voice, or uh, you're a great scientist, a great doctor, then you have value. In our culture, our value is based on what we do, what we've accomplished. But guys, it's different in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, it's all about who we are. It's not based on our ex external things, but on our identity in Christ. I know a guy, I used to work with him years ago. His name is Robert. And he, uh, one of the largest men I've ever personally known, about six foot eight, six foot nine, massive, big, strong African-American man. And for years, uh, he played football. In fact, from the time he was a, a boy in elementary school all the way through his, his uh, college years, he played football, got drafted before he graduated from college, went into professional football, and his entire identity, his entire world was wrapped up around this, the fact that he was a professional football player. But here's the problem. He blew his knee out. In fact, damaged it so severely that he could not uh, play football any longer. And I, I knew Robert years after all of that took place. But when I met him, he was a security guard at the high school that I coached at. Now, let me quickly say, there's nothing wrong with being a security guard. I'm not making a value statement. That's what our world would say. That's what Robert felt. But what you need to know is the way Robert felt about his life was it's over. He struggled with depression and alcoholism for years and years because in his mind, his life had no value. It was worth because everything that he put his identity in was taken from him when his knee got blown out. The problem with putting your identity in something temporary is it's very fickle and things change. But Jesus, here's in the kingdom, this is important, in our relationship with God, Jesus calls us to a holy transformation that gives us an eternal identity. 
a holy transformation that gives us an eternal identity in Christ. Now, if you're a, a seeker, if you're investigating Christianity, you might go, what does that mean? A holy transformation that gives us an eternal identity, whatever. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. When we become Christ followers, and if you're investigating Christianity, you need to know this is what it means. We don't just add God. He doesn't become just an add-on to our life. Well, I've got God in my pocket. Kind of like the commercial, you know, what's in your wallet? Well, I've got God in my wallet. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we just get our ticket to heaven. I'm good, you know, at least I won't burn in hell for the rest of my life. It's way more than that. It's a complete change in our identity. We become something new. We become his children. The Bible says we are taken from darkness into light. They were taken from the old man and we become a new man or woman. That that old is gone and the new has come. And they go, well, how does that happen? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's transforming grace in our lives. That when we say yes to him, then we are birthed into a new relationship with God that gives us a new identity. My uh, grandson, Caleb, most of you know who he is. He's kind of famous around here. He's almost four years old. Caleb, was, his birth mom, lives in Tacoma. And he was born into a family and was given a name there. But when he was adopted by my daughter and son-in-law, he was given a new identity and a new family. Adopted into our family. And that is now his identity. And that's what it is for us. We are adopted into the family of God. And God gives us in that a new name, a new identity, a new purpose. We are a new people, new people, person in Christ Jesus. And it's not just adding God to our lives. It's becoming a part of something brand new. Peter, the same guy who denied knowing Jesus, years later wrote the, the epistle, the letter of 1 Peter, and he wrote these words. Peter got this. He understood it years later. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 11. Peter's speaking to Christians. He says, but well, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Pete says, listen, this is, this is who you are now. You're chosen by God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You belong to God. In fact, he's taking you from darkness into light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Your new identity is now a part of the family, the kingdom of God. And verse 11, he says this, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world. We no longer belong to this, this world. This world is not our home. As alien and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Pete says, because, don't miss this, because of who you are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, people belonging to God, don't go there. Don't act that way anymore. Abstain from sinful desires. And he's not just saying, stop sinning. And I could tell you guys, don't do this and don't do that. Stop this. And the more I tell you what not to do, the more you want to do it. That's human nature. Have you ever raised children? (laughs) But if you focus, and I say, focus on who you are. Focus on what Christ has done for you. Focus on the relationship you have in, in him because of him. Focus on that. Then that focus, that identity will help you say no to sin and yes to God. Again, Peter, the same guy who here in Mark denies even knowing Jesus, understands as he writes this in 1 Peter that who we are determines what we do. Let me say it again. Who you are will determine what you do. And so the antidote to this loss of identity that we suffer from from time to time is to remember who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. It's critical. 
Here's the last thing. One more thing I want to take a look at. Perhaps it's the most obvious cause of Peter's denial. Number three, it's fear. And fear knocks us down and out. Peter was afraid. How did he go from being so sure, so confident, so convinced to being so wimpy? I mean, verse 31, it says, Peter insisted emphatically. I mean, it's strong words. I will not be that guy. I will not deny you. What happened? Well, the hours before his denial, he sees Judas betray Jesus with a kiss. He sees Jesus arrested, and his mind's just reeling from the implications. And he's thinking, what's going on? This is not good. He realizes all his buddies, all the guys he's been hanging with, they all desert, they all bolt, they all run, they all deny him. And he gets consumed with fear in that moment. I don't think it was a question of love, emotion, uh, even desired devotion. Uh, Peter loved the Lord. But at that moment, he ended up with this problem that we often end up with. It's a problem of fear. Peter felt threatened. He felt confused. He was afraid. And fear is a formidable foe. Unexpected terrors can freak us all out. And you've been there. I'm sure you have. But let me tell you one of my stories. Most of you know that last June I was in Israel and uh, had an amazing time with my mom and uh, we uh, got to see, I mean, we drove, I, I didn't go on a tour, I, I drove the car, she, my mom drove me crazy with her directions, but yeah, it was fun. And we, um, there's this place in Jerusalem, it's called Hezekiah's Tunnel, and i give you a brief little history lesson. Hezekiah was an ancient king of Israel, and to protect Israel against um, sieges where they would be surrounded and go without food and water, he built a tunnel, a 1,750-foot tunnel underneath the city of Jerusalem. And it's still there in this tunnel, not that big. I mean, you know, it's, it's one person can walk through it, and if you're not too tall, you can stand up in it. But he built this tunnel to bring water into the city of Jerusalem. And it's still there to this day, and water still flows through it. Well, um, I, one Friday, uh, excuse me, one Saturday, uh, Thursday I'd gone down there, and I, I wanted to check it out, and it was just hundreds and hundreds of kids I mean, people everywhere. Uh, they, on a field trip, you know, they do that in Israel too, and buses and kids, and I thought, no way. I'm not going to deal with it. So the next day, I came back. Now, the Jewish Sabbath runs from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, 24-hour period, and they start shutting everything down in Jerusalem. I mean, noon, 2 o'clock, everything gets shut down because they're preparing for Sabbath. Well, I decided to go at lunchtime and see if I could get in a quick tour of Hezekiah's tunnel. And I went there, and there's nobody there because all the faithful Jews are getting ready for Sabbath, and they don't want to get wet and deal with this and whatever. So I'm thinking, this is great. Nobody's here. I'm going to go all by myself and just go through this tunnel. So I paid my 20 shekels, and I go through the gate, and then you begin. You have to walk down this, this long flight of steps. Now, it's lit up with, with lights, but it's narrow, and it's all these steps. You walk down this thing, and, and you get to the bottom, and as you get to the bottom of this, uh, and it's quite a descent, uh, there's a little hole that leads you into Hezekiah's tunnel. Well, on my way down the steps, here's what's going through my mind. First thought was, man, if, you know, Syria or somebody drops a nuclear bomb on Jerusalem while I'm down here, I'm going to be buried under rubble forever. Nobody's going to find my body. So, I'm, you know how your mind just says stupid things? Anybody else have this? Okay, three of you. Thank you for being honest. You know, you, you just, all these thoughts, and I'm, I'm walking down these steps, I'm by myself. My first thought was, what if? You know, they get blown up, and I'm down here, and I'm stuck, and nobody knows I'm here. Second thought was, I had this little pin light. It's a, the only light I, the, the only thing you need is some shoes you don't mind getting wet, uh, some sort of clothes you can, you know, wear in the water, and a flashlight. And I've got this tiny little pin light. 
And I'm walking down the steps and I'm thinking, wow, I really hope this battery holds out. I'm going through all these thoughts. I get to the bottom. Nobody's around. Nobody's there. And I look in this, through this hole, and, I, and there's water running. Uh, at that point, it was about maybe knee-deep, a little below my knees. And, and I stepped inside this tunnel. And at the first, the water felt pretty refreshing. And I thought, well, okay, I can do this. But, man, the, the further I walked, I didn't get more than 50 feet, maybe, maybe 75 feet down this tunnel. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a panic attack. And I've only had like two of those in my entire life. And I am freaking out. I mean, this tunnel is so dark, you cannot see your hand in front of you if you turn the light off, which I did not do. You can't see anything. There's, and, and, and again, and my mind is going crazy. I'm, oh, I, I can't breathe. There's no oxygen down here. And then I'm thinking, what's in this water? There could be creatures down here. Or God only knows what's flowing through my toes. And, and I'm starting just to freak out. And the more I think about it, the more I can't breathe, the more my pulse is racing. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not far down this thing. And I turn around and I saw the light in the tunnel and I booked. I am, I am, I am booking to the end of this tunnel. I bolt out of the hole like a bullet out of a gun. And this, there's two couples that are there just as I'm coming out. And the woman at the end, she did not look very good. And I don't mean ugly. I mean she looked like she was panicking herself. She saw, sees a look on my face, and she said something, and then I said something. She goes, well, there's no way it beep. I'm going down in that hole. <laughs> and I said something about, yeah, death by darkness. You don't want to, and ran by her up the steps as quick as I could to get out of there. And behind me, I hear this woman and my, uh, just behind me, trekking, oh God, get me out of here, get me out of here. Why do we pray to God when we're afraid? I don't know. So anyhow, I'm in a situation where I'm terrified and I realize, wow, uh, and I get out and you feel stupid, you feel foolish, but maybe you've been there. You know, fear can cause us to do some really foolish things at times. Now, I am not trying to justify Peter's denial, but I do want us to really under, try to understand what's going on and how he must have been feeling. Sometimes we're so quick to judge Peter, aren't we? But fear robs us of reason. It does. There's no reasonable you know, explanation for me having a panic attack down there. I mean, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people walk through there you know, every week, and it's, it's, it's safe, and there's nothing to worry about. But it robs us of reason. We react instead of respond, and then we run rather than take a stand. Fear. So what do we do? How do we deal with the problem of fear? Well, I want to suggest to you that the antidote to fear is to is found in who we cry out to. Now, of course, uh, there are other things you can do. Drugs might work. Um, I, that was a joke, by the way. So. But, you know, there, there are things that we can turn to that might help us get through the fear. But I, biblically, and I'm just going to go biblical on you, biblically, the Bible encourages us, when we're in that state of fear, to cry out to God, to do what the lady behind me was doing in a way. Oh, God, oh, God. And I wasn't. I was just running. Who we turn to and who we look to when we're in the midst of fear has a lot to do with what happens in that situation, has a lot to do with overcoming our fear. You see, the natural reaction when we're afraid is to cry out. If you've been startled by something or somebody, it, it's just a natural reaction to, ah! You know, we kind of, we react. Uh, I don't do it as often anymore because it gets me into big trouble. But occasionally I'm sitting next to my wife, we're watching a movie or our television program, and the, the, the music gets kind of, 
And you can tell that the suspenseful moment is coming. And at times I have, and I know it's terrible, I've just in that moment said, I've gone, ah! And, 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 you know, sometimes Laura hits me, sometimes she breaks into tears. No matter what, it's never pretty. I don't know why I do it. It's sick. I know it's terrible. And I've gotten better. Now what I usually say, you can ask her what I usually say now is resisting, resisting, <laughs> resisting. And she says, thank you. But we cry out. We, when we're caught in a situation that terrifies us, it's normal for us to, ah, to cry out. What I want to suggest is that we cry out to the Lord. When terrified, when afraid, we cry out to him. David, Psalm 145. David, who was the greatest king that ever lived, an amazing man, killed Goliath, great, great bravery act. But David had to deal with fear. And David wrote this in Psalm 145, 18 and 19. Some of you, write this down. Psalm 145, 18 and 19. You need to jot this down and put it someplace where you can read it a lot this week. David said, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. I love that. David said, The Lord's right there. He's near. Our part is to call on him and to call on him in truth, to be desperate for him. David said, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And part of that is we need to fear God more than we fear anything else. And then this last part of the verse, verse 19, I love it, says, He hears their cry and He saves them. The Lord is near to those who call on Him. And He hears their cries and He saves them. I want to suggest to you that if Peter had cried out to the Lord in that moment, in that courtyard, I think Jesus would have saved him. I know that he would have had a different experience than he did. And part of this, you know, Peter should have remembered this. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 14, I think, where uh, Jesus is walking to the disciples. It's the middle of the night. There's a storm. They're in the boat. He's walking on the water. They see him. They think he's a ghost. They're all freaking out. They're all in panic. Jesus says, relax, guys. It's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, then let me come out to you on the water. I love Peter. Jesus says, all right, dude, come on. Peter steps out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus. And what happens? Because he sees the waves, the storm, and he gets afraid, and he starts to go down. And what, did, and what did he do? He cried out, and Jesus saved him. What would have happened if Peter in that moment would have remembered? You know, the, the, I've been here before. I cry out to Jesus, and he rescues me. Who we turn to when we're afraid has everything to do with whether we're going to overcome the fear that we're facing. Pride sets us up for failure. A loss of our identity will cause us to stumble at least, and fear will knock us out if we don't deal with it. But my conviction is that we can grow and we can learn to take a stand. We really can, by God's help. Let me tell you one more story, and uh, I'll wrap this up. My brother, uh, Kevin, and his wife, Catherine, most of you know, are missionaries in Mozambique, Africa. And they are heroes to me. I love my brother, Kevin and Catherine. And, and guys, they deal with more stress, more trials, more struggle in a day than most of us have to deal with in a year. They live in a, a house that would fit in its entirety on this stage. Um, they are constantly battling the elements, dealing with malaria. Catherine just had a really bad case of it a few months ago. Um, they constantly deal with struggles. But on top of that, Mozambique is a, an Islamic country. And it's, it is not a Christian country and not favorable to Christ's followers. And my brother told me this story about a young man, his name's Omari, 16 years old. He led Omari to faith in Christ. Omari left Islam and became a Christ follower. His dad, Omari's father, threatened him. 
And Amari's response to his dad was incredible. He said, Father, he said, those who cry out to Muhammad have never been healed, but I have seen those who cry out to Jesus healed in his name. And he said, so his reason for putting his belief in Jesus was, I have seen that he's alive, he's real, I've seen his power. He said, I've never seen that happen to those who cry out to Muhammad, but those who call on Jesus are saved. And his father sent his older son and some of the other villagers to beat Omari up. To, to, and they beat him within an inch of his life. But Omari stood the test. He did not deny his faith. And to this day, he's still walking with Jesus. Now we hear stories like that and we go, man, I don't know if I can be that kid. I don't know if in that environment I, I could take that stand. And some of us, like me, and I own this, guys, I, I can remember dozens of dozens of times where I've, I've literally denied my faith, denied Jesus. But here's the good news for those of us who have failed him like Peter. You fast forward to John chapter 21. One of my favorite passages in the Gospels, in the New Testament, is the restoration of Peter. Jesus is having breakfast with some of the disciples. Um, he's he's uh, having this encounter with Peter. And, you know, Peter denied the Lord three times. And three times in this breakfast time with Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, do you love me? Simon says, yes, Lord, you know I do. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And each time he responded to Jesus with, yes, I love you, Jesus responded with, then let's get back to work. Let's, we've got things to do. Feed my sheep, take care of my lands. Let's move forward. What I love about that story is the most horrendous, obvious denial of Christ in the scriptures was done by Peter. And here in John 21, Peter was restored. And what that does for us is it gives us hope that no matter what we do, no matter where we failed, it was not the end of Peter's story. And listen to me, it does not have to be the end of yours either. God's specialty, I say this all the time because it's, I, you cut me, I believe this. God's specialty is redemption, restoration, renewal. It's what he does. It's what he did for Peter. It's what he'll do for you. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you are merciful and kind and good and gracious with us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live beyond our own strength, that you have given us everything we need to be the godly men and women that you want us to be. And yet, Lord, thank you that when we fail, restoration, redemption, renewal is possible. That when we blow it, God, we can, we can run to you and know your grace and know your mercy in our lives. And some of us this morning, Lord, we're thinking about an experience maybe just this last week where we did not take a stand. Maybe we didn't overtly deny you, but we, by our actions, by our words, we didn't take a stand. We didn't identify ourselves with Jesus, with our Savior. And Lord, I pray that if that's someone sitting here right now or listening to this online, that they would embrace your forgiveness, that they would confess that and just cry out, God, forgive me, help me, empower me to be that man or woman I need to be. Help me to remember who I am in you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've been investigating Christianity, but you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And yet today you know, man, it's time for me to take a stand for Jesus. It's time for me to say yes to him. It's time for me to embrace what he did for me on that cross 
and to say yes, to surrender my life. It's time for me to become that new creation, that new person in Christ. And if that's you and you want that, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And we think, well, it's so easy. Well, it's only easy because of the hard thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. But if you want that, if you want to begin your life today as a Christ follower, then make this prayer yours right now. Father, forgive me. I have failed. I have sinned. I've gone my own way. And right now, right here, this Mother's Day, I'm coming to you and saying, God, I surrender my life to you. I confess my need. And I want Jesus to be the Savior of my life. Holy Spirit, come live in me now. I, I, I need your power if I'm to become that man or woman you want me to be. But today, right here, I'm taking my first stand for you. If you're a prodigal son or prodigal daughter and you've wandered from God, then make your prayer, Father, today I'm coming home. And I have denied you. I've walked away from you. But today I'm coming home. Thank you for restoring me and loving me. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that today we believe you're transformed, wanting to be an impact in our culture and our world, to be light in the midst of darkness, not self-righteous, not not judgmental, not harsh, but God, light in the midst of darkness, just as Jesus was. I pray that for all of us, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. We sang the song earlier, Search My Heart. What I want you to do this time is to make it your prayer. We're going to take our offering. If you've got a communication card, drop that in the bucket. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church home, give to support what God is doing. But as we, as we give, I want you to sing this song as a prayer to the Lord. Search my heart. Let's worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love that song, and I hope it's your prayer. God, without you, I'm nothing, so I need you. And any part of me that needs to change, just change me. That's a great prayer. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. You'll make their day. Come tell me. We want to stand with you and walk with you. On the tables, by the doors, there's an envelope, white envelope with Bible and some material you should start your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up and then sign up for our First Steps class that's coming up soon. Prayer team will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. We still need people to sign up for the mobile blood drive. You can talk to Bob at the, about the water table at the back. Lots of things coming up. I encourage you to get involved. But here's my prayer for you today on this Mother's Day. This week, you'll be challenged. At some point, you'll have an opportunity to take a stand, to be who you are in Christ. And may you go this week with the power of the Holy Spirit on you to help you become that man or woman, to take a stand for Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here on this Mother's Day. Moms, have a great day. God bless you. Thanks for being here.